topic-based podcast. So each episode, we're going to tackle a different issue facing board games, the people who play them, and maybe even sometimes the industry. Our topic for today? Well, I think it's about time we explain exactly all those terms us board game folk love to use. Hello everybody and welcome to Tabletop Inquisition. Um, I'm Antoinette of Board Game Inquisition. And I'm Oliver of Tabletop Games Blog. Welcome. Well, welcome. Um, it's great to be here again for a second episode. Yeah, episode two. Who would have believed it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't believe we've made it this far. We've got some really exciting stuff lined up for today and I can't wait to tell you all about it. Okay, so let's start then. So we've got a new section uh, for this podcast now where we're going to talk about the games we played since the last episode or just recently. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start with this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going yeah, to lead with, yeah, thank you. I'm going to start with Wingspan, which probably a lot of you have seen on my Twitter feed. I've been playing this with my wife pretty much every night, sometimes twice a night. <laughs> I've also introduced it to my to the games group as well, and they enjoy it as well, which is nice. So it's it's a sort of game that's not too complex. So if someone you know isn't used to resource management and those sort of games, it's a great lead-in with Wingspan. And for those people who like it a bit more complex. It's great fun. It's just absolutely beautiful. So yet again, a little advert here for Stow My Games. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh. other than that, I've also been able to play test Sensor Ghosts by Ren Games, um, which mm. is really interesting. I've, I have to play it some more because it's you know the first time you play it, it you know you're not quite sure what you're doing, but mm. it it very much feels like Assembly, which they you know released um, was it uh, end of last year. Yeah. And it's that's a really fun game as well. You know, that's sort of solo or two player. And I've played Sensor Ghosts solo now um, and really enjoyed that. Um, and other than that, yeah, that's probably the main two from me. What have you been playing, Antoinette? Oh, you see, you only mentioned two games. So now I sound like some sort of... Oh, savage. I can carry on. Shall I carry on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, um, we had some guests come over for St. Patrick's Day and come down for a games day. So I got to play a whole bunch of stuff that I normally wouldn't get to play unless there were more people around. So that means we got to pull out games like Celestia, Colt Express. Um, we also played Wingspan. My friends are really big fans of Wingspan. Great, um, yeah. And you understand why. It's just such a, a relaxed game that everybody had a really good time with it. Yeah. Um, apart from kind of the one day of many games, um, I've got to play quite a few um, like one-off things, the games that have been arriving. Um, so okay. I sound like I have new games showing up all the time, but um, I've finally <laughs> was- getting single plays of things like Kingsburg um, Turn and Taxis um, oh, yeah. I probably should explain what some of these are actually Kingsburg is the most AP game I've ever played it gives me such a headache it's a it's a dice game where you decide where the numbers go to get what happens on the board it's like a worker placement with dice but okay. it just wrecks your head you can, you're sitting there for ages going there's got to be a way to get two sticks they're just it's got to happen um, and it just it's, it, it's actually really really good it's something I'd heard um, great things about um, okay. Turn of Taxis is like you're in the postal service and you're trying to make um, deliveries across Germany um, and it's set yeah. where the postal service began in Germany um, yeah. so basically you're connecting routes it's like a very um, cool and elegant um, ticket to ride almost okay um, and I had a lot of fun with that. That was a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of things I've been playing. I've been playing a lot of single games, not a lot of repeats. Um, and apart from that, just kind of review copies and things like that to keep me busy. But there's always 
there's always games. Yeah, always <laughs> there's always more. more games to get and, to. And you've been playing solo games as well, I think. Is that right? I have. Yeah, you're right. Um, I have a review copy coming up soon for um, Robin Hood, Hero of the People. And oh, it's wow. the first solo game um, that I have played. I think my review is coming out in like a week or so. Um, mm. And it's interesting to try play games by myself um i don't do it a lot i find it very difficult i find mm. playing by myself i forget a lot of things because i have no one to remind me or yep. to tell me i'm cheating <laughs> <laughs> and i also just i don't know there's something about being alone with yourself that's doing it that i'm sure a lot of people find very zen but for me i find it just gives my brain too much room to think yeah. um but on the solo kind of thoughts, I finally got a copy of Robinson Crusoe because um, I really wanted to play that solo. Everyone kind of hails that as a great solo game. But it seems... Is, really, is that the card game? Um, Robinson no. Crusoe is the... Yeah, it is mostly cards, but basically it's it's a co-op survival game where oh, yeah. which is supposed to be incredibly difficult that you're surviving, you know, on the island and yeah. um, all sorts of terrible things seem to happen to you. Um, and so I'm looking forward to trying that out solo because it's a much more busy game than Robin Hood. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, the theme will really help knit it together. So this is my last ditch chance at solo gaming. <laughs> if I can't make it work on one end or the other, I think I'm just going to settle that I need humans in my life <laughs> yeah no it is it's weird i mean i haven't i'm not a solo player myself either and mm. uh, it is yeah it's a different thing i think i probably would enjoy like you know the sensor girls or the assembly type of games or the puzzle games i was probably quite happy to play those because it's more like doing a crossword puzzle or you know sudoku or something which you can <laughs> do by yourself but anything else you're right I, i'm the same I, I would just forget things and you, know, you need the other players there to help you and remind you that you're cheating <laughs> you're right though that a lot of solo games make great puzzle games and if you're you know if that's the kind of thing you enjoy then they're a great place to go to aren't they because this assembly is definitely one of my favorite puzzle games i've ever come across yeah. um i think it's, a, it's there's something so cool about a little game doing something really big or yeah. making um, life really difficult for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i think assembly does that i think sensor goes looks um, very similar to that too i think it'll be really really interesting yeah um, no, to see it all that. kind of come together so yeah so we've been busy we have been right okay well that was <laughs> that was very interesting indeed um let's <laughs> let's carry on to the next section i'd say oh, yeah that sounds like a plan we're going to get to the point where we talk about some game terminology and we've kind of decided I think to go through them like little by little a little bit each week so because I think it'd be a really boring podcast if we just talk <laughs> game terms for a whole hour very informative but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think it'd be half as exciting so we're thinking we're going to um, put them in you know sprinkle them through the episodes so that we can all maybe learn or think about you know something new each week yeah. So the first game term that we're going to attempt um, is action selection. So what we did was we went away and we thought about what action selection, you know, meant for us. Um, so and we thought that we would explain what the term was and maybe think about a game that would, you know, exemplify this term. Yeah, right? yeah that sounds good. Plan. So um, I took one look at this and I went philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, so be, be, be slightly warned. I swear it's not that scary, but this is how I approached thinking about defining something. Okay. Um, and in philosophy, there's a term called like ontology, which is kind of a laundry list for something's existence. 
So if you wanted to determine exactly, you know, how would you define what a dog is or a dogness, you yeah. have to list all the attributes that a dog had and only a dog had that would make them that, right? So okay. you'd have to say they had four legs, they barked, they were in the canine family. I don't know, they live in your house, they wag, your, they wag their tails, yeah. that kind of idea. So I thought the same thing when it came to board game terms. So that okay. this term can only apply to a game that, that fits this, you know, um, terminology. So that's how I approached it. It might be a little bit weird. I don't know. No, let's go for it. I think <laughs> it'd be fine. The philosopher in me spoke um, and said, so this is my kind of laundry list of exactly what has what has to be in an action selection game. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the following. So your turn consists in choosing between a variety of options. These can vary in format where you must perform an action each phase or you can be given something like eight actions total to use as you wish. So that's my take on action, so my take on action selection. Shall I have a go at explaining what, what, where, how I approach it? Yes, please. That would be fabulous. I think I'm probably a bit more, um, less definition, more sort of how you actually use the, 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 mm-hmm. you know, the idea of action selection in games. If, if you're not much used to board games, uh, if you still love the monopolies of this world, even then you're actually doing some sort of excellent selection. And the idea is you basically uh, uh, usually s- select something on the board that's available. So in Monopoly, you roll your dice and you land on a place and then you can actually choose to, to buy a property or you, you, you know uh, select a card and things like that. So again, there are different spaces on a, a board, for example, or could be cards as well, that you can choose from and then that allow you to to carry out a certain thing it can be you know linked to dice rolling as well it can be just a matter of you put a piece on a space and you you know, have so, so many certain actions as you said during your turn that you can do or during a round um, action selection spaces can also be uh, exclusive to a player for example so the idea of you know i've i've taken the action no one else can and then we also have situations where people can be, you know, bumped out of uh, actions, uh, action spaces and things like that. So it, I, I guess I'm approaching it more for, you know, how is action selection used in games rather than defining the term. I don't know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking a lot here, but... <laughs> no, I think that complements each other nicely, actually, because I took it very kind of dry and definition term and you took it more of how people use it in the real yeah. world. So I think together we can make a good definition. I think this section is for people who aren't very much into board games and still getting mm-hmm. used to some of these terms. So as you say, between your definition and me explaining and maybe how it's used in games, mm. hopefully they'll they understand that better. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it just seems to boil down that you have choices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> You have choices to make. <laughs> I was wondering, did we want to um, list any games we thought fit the definition okay. before we checked what it was? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of mine are um, erroneous now that we've talked about it. <laughs> okay. Good. Do you want to make a start? <laughs> yeah. I think the first game I thought of when I thought of action selection was Wingspan because I've been playing it a lot. And Wingspan gives you a number of cubes with which you can perform that many actions. Yeah. Um, so to me that felt it feels like action selection so I can do this now with this and I can do this now as well I also thought of something like um, dominant species um, and dominant species has a huge list of actions you can do um, collectively choose from together and it's a kind of I think it's an unusual action selection in that sense because you know you're all picking from the same things but I think it also fits into that definition too 
or at least I hope it does. <laughs> you can choose actions, but um, everyone else also gets to choose the same actions with you. No, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are very good examples, especially Wingspan. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of Lords of Waterdeep, where we have the idea of excluding someone, so you can put your um, uh, well agent or whatever they're called in Lords of Waterdeep onto a space, and you can do that action. No one else can do it unless they have some sort of special ability. Mm -hmm. So there's an example of you know, you're doing your action, but you can block others. Uh, and then something bit maybe more mixed is Rise of Tribes, where you have basically, I think it's three action spaces, and you roll dice, and then you can slot them into a space to try and make that action more powerful, hopefully, or, you know, you just do the normal action. So oh. he's sort of doing dice rolling mixed with uh, taking an action that is available to you on your turn, but other players can do on their turn as well. Oh, so those are my two examples. Oh, those are really good examples. I like those a lot, actually, especially especially actually yeah, the Rise of Tribes one. There's an unusual kind of type of action selection yeah. where you have dice as well yeah. um, just to kind of add something to it. Oh. So it's not just the action, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think we're actually really far off the original definition, which I will tell us now, Okay. which has been revealed by the Board Game Geek website. Um, <laughs> so according to it, action selection, a game mechanic where a player selects an action to perform from a menu, possibly changing of possible choices okay so, good definition it is a very good definition <laughs> but bad, I, I think we're quite close though yeah i definitely think we're quite close that one actually didn't list any games some of the definitions list games they think fit the, the fit definition, the definition yeah. but they didn't in this case so we'll have to we'll think well i think ours were good i fair. think so yeah it definitely sounds like it i suppose there's only one other question you know is action selection actually close to any other terms you know board game terms is there anything else it sounds like because i know when i was thinking about it it reminds me a lot of something like worker placement for some reason i think yeah. they're very close together absolutely i think worker placement is is basically a type of action selection in my view mm -hmm. um, because you are placing something and, and traditionally they were called workers because usually with these action spaces it was a matter of you get some resources or you you know you, you get something out of it not necessarily carrying out an action that you do in games these days i think no. For my perspective, anyway, it's uh, worker placement was sort of the a traditional term, and yeah. now it's changed into action selection because quite often you're not actually getting resources. You can actually do other things like you know booting people off spaces or mm -hmm. taking over an area or things like that. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's in, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I like your idea actually of that you know, worker placement as a breed of action selection because it really it really does feel incredibly similar. The ability usually with your workers, you're choosing an action to perform um, yeah. on a particular spot on a board, which is not really all that different from you know just choosing actions in general. That's um, right. Yeah, they're they're close. I wonder should they be you know more connected than we think they are. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think they are. I think they're very similar. So. Yeah. Maybe we have to add that to our list of t terms to explain in another episode. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to get on to that. Okay, so what's next? So the next term is area control. And as before, I'm just going to try and explain what, you know, how I would use it in a game or how it is used in games. <laughs> uh, and then, Antoinette, you can obviously do the same. Yeah. And then hopefully that, again, gives people an idea of, of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So area control for me is about, well almost like the term says you have a map usually and you're trying to usually have actually figures on certain uh, spaces within that area so you're trying to control that area as the term says uh, in some games and usually i'd say this is sort of war games or war related games where this comes in quite a lot but not necessarily um, 
in some games you don't necessarily have to actually have pieces on the area you might just control a like a, a like a front like in a war so the the land behind the front is still considered use um but it is about having more spaces and usually those spaces that you control on the map then give you resources or abilities to do uh, usually also included in the end game scoring so um, the the game might end after a certain amount of turns but then depending on what areas or how many you control you get more points and in some games again it, it's the actual amount of area might be the end game trigger so as soon as you control 50 percent or 60 percent of the area you win or something like that so to me, that is what area control is about. It's usually with some sort of map and, and usually linked to war games. Yes. What do you think? How do you uh, define it? I think the first thing I think of when I think of area control actually is risk. Um, okay, yeah. I think risk is like the ultimate example of area control. So um, for me, an area control game must involve a way to denote control or to claim ownership of a specifically marked area of the board or map. So I think they have to be like delineated parts of the map. So it has to be this section, this section, this section yeah. um, to be able so you can see who controls what. Interestingly enough, I thought kind of the opposite of something you said. Um, okay. I think, well, I, I wrote at the time um, that metaphorical control um, doesn't count where someone controls in inverse commas an area because they are the only person capable of doing so or because they're near it. Okay. So I didn't count that as actually controlling an area. I thought you had to have your guy there that you couldn't just be, you know, near and you know, adjacent to it or be the only person capable of claiming it. Okay. Um, yeah kind of a little bit different to how, how you looked at it but i can i can i can understand your point too but i suppose to me it has to have the guy on the in the slot in the place yeah. where he's supposed to be to claim it makes sense yeah, absolutely so shall we look at some example of games then yeah, definitely this should be exciting so for me one of the obvious ones maybe you've chosen as well is scythe again from mm -hmm. stone games which is area control uh, and it's not really war game i know people always think it's a war game it's not there's very little fighting actually happening mm -hmm. but it's as like you said you have to have something a, a a unit or whatever or building in a certain hex to actually claim it and for it to count at the end so that's a clear example of that i also was thinking of carcassonne as a sort of area control because if you think of the farmers yes you are trying to control that piece of land by putting your farmer on there mm. And that, that's why I said you don't necessarily have to have actually someone on all the tiles that you lay. Uh -huh. You can just have one farmer in that area. Or if you have the most farmers for that field, you get those points. So even though it's not necessarily the first game you might think of as area control, but there is an element in there, obviously, uh -huh. of you trying to control, you know, the, the city or well, actually mm -hmm. a lot of it is about it, the road and things like that. So to me, that was an example of, okay, you don't have to claim the whole thing. You just need to have sort of, you know, one or two people in there to, to claim the, the whole area, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, that's perfect, actually. It's funny, Carcassonne is something I thought about as well. And particularly in Carcassonne, the way cities work, that you can have your person in one part of a city and someone can build their city up to connect to yours. Yeah. Basically steal your points, steal the points from you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, that's what I was thinking, I suppose, the metaphorical contro control, I suppose, over an area. But you've done it better, actually, talking about the farmers or you yeah. put one guy down and he's claiming lots of areas without actually being everywhere yeah, um, yeah so yeah that's actually really important 
I'll link that actually to my own example of that that idea of having control over something without necessarily being there. Yeah. And well, the first the first game that came to mind that's really obviously area control um, for me is a game called Innis. Um, okay. Yeah. This is a beautiful um, Celtic illustrated game where you are a group of clans and you're battling it out to have a clan leader. And it's very, you know, each part of the map is a section. Each part of the map has its own ability. It's very obvious what's going on. <laughs> you're all trying to claim areas of the map. So to me, that makes sense. My second example is something that had me thinking quite a bit. And I'd love um, if people could leave comments and see what they think, if this is actually true. Okay. So my second suggestion is Yokohama. Okay, yeah. Uh, Yokohama is an economic style game where you move around modular boards. And how it works is if you want to activate a certain area, like action selection, or um, you go, you have to go there. And the more people you have there, the better the action you have is. However, to be able to move between the little tiles, you have to have left a little cube behind a little person. You have to have a trail of people to be able to get to these places. Um, and also, if someone else has their pawn on this on any of the squares you want to pass through or use, you have to pay them money as if they own the tile. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it was one that kind of I not quite messed with my head, but I was I was trying to curious. Is it's a very unusual type of area control, but you do see it in those worker placement games, don't you? Where um let's say to use this place someone's already there so you're going to have to pay them to do so yeah yeah um, exactly so i'm not sure how area control it is but i definitely think it's got that vibe even if it's not there by definition you know it's not like i claim this place i own it but to be able to use things in a shared way it's like somebody owns it so. yeah that makes sense i think you're right you know and again you have more people in there to make the action stronger so that's the action selection part of it but you are controlling that area as well so yeah. no i think that is a very good example that sort of broadens the term a bit more because yeah as you say people think of area control always as you know you, you controlling that that's it you know, to the exclusion of everyone else but that doesn't have to be the case necessarily yeah exactly yeah that's good i'm glad i'm hoping it's something i i really want to use this section i suppose in my part to get people thinking about their games yeah um, you know and to kind of broaden your thought a little bit i think carcassonne's a great example of area control you wouldn't have thought of um, yeah, yeah and i think you'll find other games have elements of area control where you never would have considered them to be that type of game yeah no uh, definitely so, yeah but we're, we're like spreading the word yes that's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's look at what the official definition then is okay this should be exciting yeah so it, it says here and i'm just reading this yeah. so i i know um it says a type of game where players score for having the most pieces in particular areas of the board mm. so yeah most pieces are talking about and so yeah so it doesn't necessarily have to be you know you're the only person in there it can be you just have more people in there okay um and it lists here as examples El Grande, mm -hmm. San Marco, and Louis Fourteenth. <laughs> Neither game I know, so I, I can't comment. <laughs> maybe, I should, <laughs> maybe I should look, watch some videos about these games and see <laughs> whether that's true or not. <laughs> and then interestingly, it does mention here majority control games. So, And I guess, again, that is a similar sort of thing. You're actually not necessarily controlling an area, but you have the majority of meeps or whatever in, in that area, on that space, or whatever it may be. And I guess there are some games, I can't remember what, but there are games sometimes where if you're adjacent to someone, a certain space, then that actually counts towards your power in that area as well. So there's mm. some, some more complex games where it's not just one hex or one area that you sit in, but actually 
if you're sort of near it or surrounding it, then you actually can, can control it as well. So there we go. Yeah, it's interesting that they went for the numbers. You know, they, talk, they talked about the physical, you know, dudes on a map. Very, they yeah. went for the risk definition. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we thought way bigger than that. We did, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, we more, we're more advanced. <laughs> yeah, we're, maybe not more advanced, but definitely something for people to think about, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay, so our next terminology we're going to get to today is one that I am particularly fond of, um, and it is known as drafting. Yay! Uh, yeah, drafting. <laughs> and, you know, it's one that comes up a lot in games. Yeah. Um, and what's really funny is I think dra- drafting, just as a whole, has a, such, especially card drafting, has a great history behind it. Yeah. Um, and it's the game. It's the well. It's the mechanic that really introduced me to board games. So it's pretty special. Okay. <laughs> so it is definitely close to your heart. Yeah, exactly. So for me, anyway, this is how I understand drafting. And I think this mostly refers to card drafting, but you can draft other things like yeah. tiles. Actions <laughs> maybe as well, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Powers as well, maybe. I don't know. There'd be probably all sorts of things you can draft. I don't know. Yeah, I think there are definitely lot of things, lots of things you can draft other than cards. But I think it's the first thing that comes to my head when I yeah. think of drafting. So uh, my first line, drafting usually involves cards. So each player starts with a set number um, in your hand and you choose one item from your hand of whatever it is of cards. I'm going to stick with cards for the moment. Yep. Um, and then you pass the unchosen cards to the left or to the right player, whoever's sitting next to you. Depending on the game, usually you'll pass to the left and you'll receive a new hand with one fewer cards than you previously started with. Yeah, okay. Um, so you keep the original card you chose and then from the new hand, you get to choose another card and then you pass on the pile again to the person next to you and, and another pile will come to you to choose from. And this process is repeated till no one remains with any cards. Okay. And usually it happens over multiple rounds. So you can build or create a set of cards you have chosen for yourself. So I think the important thing about drafting is it's that you're making choices all of the time to build something so that at the end you've a pile of cards that you have chosen so you can call it your deck or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that that's what my version of drafting is. Okay. <laughs> so what do you think? I must say I have got not that much of experience with card drafting or drafting in general, even though, you know, you will come across it when you play games. Um, mm-hmm. So again, I think your definition was perfect, really. I don't know how much I can add to it, but I'll try. But yeah, again, the, the, the idea of the drafting is, I guess, that you have some randomness. You have, you know, shuffle the deck of cards, you deal them out, and it allows you to sort of mitigate some of the randomness. So you can choose your best card, what do you think is the best card of the cards you've got. You pass them around and basically give the next player what do you think are less powerful cards. But of course, the players to your right or you know the other players will do the same so the next hand you get is again less powerful and then depending on the card drafting mechanism usually as you say you then select another card from that reduced hand i think there are games would actually allow you to sort of redraft you know swap cards around as well if you needed to but technically you do that so you end up with less and less cards and you keep going around until everyone's done that and again i think the idea being that as i say even if you've been dealt a really bad hand to start with Hopefully, other players will have more powerful hands. So as they come round, you might not get the best cards that you wanted, but you know it sort of evens out that randomness of cards. And yeah, and I can't think really of other 
drafting uh, <laughs> games. I think that's like tile drafting, as you say. Yeah. But the idea is the same. Whenever you basically randomly dealt something at the beginning, yeah. to sort of even out that sort of randomness a bit, and then make it you know give you the chance to get something better, and then hopefully, well, mm -hmm. chance are the last card you'll get will probably be the worst card for everyone. But there we go. <laughs> that's the lack of the draw then. Oh, you 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 said something really important there, which is that you're picking the best card from yeah. the pile. That's something I didn't stress enough, that you're not just picking a card at random, you're picking what you think is the best one. The best one, yeah. And passing the lesser cards onto your opponent. So even if you've got really bad cards, it'll be the best one of the bad bunch. But yeah. yeah. There, uh, the other thing I should probably point out is there are multiple ways of drafting other than the ones I've just described. Okay. You do like a, a, a Rochester draft where you lay all the cards out on the table and people choose from those. You get to see what everybody else picks. Okay, yeah. Um, and stuff like that. And I know this because I used to play Magic the Gathering. All right, yes, <laughs> I'm okay. A, I'm a recovering yeah. addict. <laughs> <laughs> see, I've never played it. Just, just slipping into, I suppose, to talking about what games employ drafting. Um, Magic the Gathering is yeah. one. Where, you know, we used, oh God, I used to draft magic, you know, once a week at least for how many years, I don't know. And there is, a, I think there's a big skill level to drafting and um, that people yeah. don't always estimate. And that's true in board games as well. Like there's games like Seasons where you do have to draft um, an entire hand worth of cards that's supposed to survive you over a number of seasons. Okay. Um, and you have to be able to plan ahead. And there's, there's a talent, I think, in knowing that this is the best card for me now or will be for for me later yeah you know it's a real skill it's not just picking stuff at random sometimes being able to connect things together is really tough dominion is the obvious choice then for the ultimate in drafting games and it's the game that made me a board move me from a magic the gathering player to a, a board gamer because it's okay. a game that is all about drafting and that's that's how we got here i can think of a bunch of other drafting games like go <laughs> yeah um, um i mentioned seasons and oddly enough innis which i mentioned earlier which is also an area control game is also a drafting game yeah. and like you suggested it's one where you can put cards back down to the pile you have in front of you and put them back into your hand yeah that you can switch it's one of the few games i think that allows that but um yeah as a whole i think there's lots of drafting actually in games and it used to be a main feature but it seems to be more of kind of a side adjunct nowadays where there'll be a little bit of drafting but then there'll be a whole other game as well no definitely and uh, as i say i can't think of many games but mm. i think the sort of classic drafting uh, that i've come across is in citadels where you know you you basically pass the cards around and you choose you know the the, the character you want to be for this round whether you want to be the warmonger or the bishop or whatever um and uh you know it, it's sort of a bit of hit of information as well so the, the person who basically it's a bit different there. there's basically a set of cards dealt out one card is discarded because it's always the same hand of cards and the first player basically sees all the cards minus two or something like that mm -hmm. chooses one pass around to the next player so the next player again has a little bit less information um, but can roughly work out what the first player might have taken does the same thing picks a card and then the last player obviously has has even less information but that seems to be that's the same sort of idea you you passing the cards around and you're trying to get a bit of information of what other players might have and you choose accordingly and then also again you with that game there's a sort of ordering of the cards so if you if you basically 
pick the cards that's the highest or the, actually the lowest number but goes first you obviously have the first turn in that game but chances are people might guess that that's what you've got and then they can attack you and things like that so it is it is very interesting i've never played citadels but i would like to yeah give it a go it's a really fun game it's relatively quick to play quite easy to learn as well so definitely mm. worth giving a go and it's fun with with other people because there's a bit of bluffing a bit of you know trying to second guess what people are doing and then the other game I was thinking of is, I suppose, Neon Far, which again has that sort of idea of you draw your artifact at the beginning, you choose the artifact that you think is the best one for your strategy this game, you pass the others around to the next player, and there you've got the sort of idea of, yeah, okay, you choose the best card for you. And what I like about that, the card that might be the best for you isn't necessarily the best for another player because everyone is still sort of following different strategies and has different you know people that they're trying to get into their party and before they explore the map and things like that but again there's sort of card drafting at the beginning and then as you said the rest of the game has nothing to do with drafting at that point <laughs> oh that's really interesting you also you said something else really important there too is that about drafting giving people information yeah um, and that's particularly true in things like Magic the Gathering where there are five colours and if all if all of the cards that are handed to you are blue you can guess that the person next to you probably isn't doesn't want any blue cards yeah yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff um and so yeah i think it's such a subtle thing drafting but i do i do think you have to be quite clever to do it well you have and i don't think i'm very good at it a friend of mine in, in the games group he <laughs> seems to love it and i think he he has played magic or similar card mm -hmm. games i mean i prefer things like keyforge where i don't have to worry about drafting i've got my yeah. hands but you know mm -hmm. he's i think well at least he says he's very good at it so i don't know because <laughs> i'm i'm no good at it <laughs> so and i don't really play card drafting games mm -hmm. but yeah he seems to enjoy that and as i say he's always saying that you know there might be cards that he's taking now because he knows he can use them later sure. whereas others might be going for the obvious really powerful card but you know he knows that that will come up once while they're then playing it later and it might come at the wrong time and things like that so he's really thinking about all the strategy and the combos and things like that so it's very clever definitely a skill all right but it's a very satisfying one when you have a great deck at the end of it when you've managed it it does take it does take a bit of learning i think yeah, to, yeah. To track well. but with board games now um it's you know card games obviously are a different breed altogether aren't they yes uh, they oh definitely have their own world but for board games i think well sometimes yeah depending on how much, like in the game and how ruthless it is like you even when you draft an innis it's really ruthless because there's a set number of cards and only one is removed so okay. you know that all the cards are out there and you yeah. know that everybody else can have them. So okay, there's a whole yeah. bunch of things going on there about, well, if I take this card now, I know that my opponent is going to have this. Yeah, yeah. Kind of idea. So, yeah, drafting is kind of a, I don't know. It's a, it's a whole beast. Yeah. exercise. <laughs> so what's the definition then? What what have you found? All right, let's, let's get the definition up. Uh, okay, I'll be so right. <laughs> this is the definition only for card drafting. And, oh, they give us a ton of examples. Okay. How many, how many of these did we mention? <laughs> so card drafting, a game mechanic where the primary way players acquire cards is by selecting them from a face-up display. Okay, right. That's okay, different. And yeah. then, then this is where it gets funny. Designer Alan or Moon has designed many games using this mechanic. <laughs> well, they did mention Richard Garfield. What's going on there? No, no, yeah. <laughs> and then it gives us some examples of games that have card drafting. Okay. Union Pacific, Freight no Train. No. Okay. Uh, Ticket to Ride. Yes. I know that. Alhambra. Okay. And then Thurn and Taxis, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really surprised that they said it has to be from a face-up display because yeah. 
That isn't all card No, to me that's, I mean, yeah, you're drafting, but you're not really drafting a deck or anything. You're just no. taking a card that suits your hand. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Ticket to Ride specifically, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, you want to get the right colored coaches mm -hmm. for your, your hand, but yeah. I don't know. Just, yeah, not yeah, what I would understand. Yeah, the idea of the face of display is very unsatisfactory. Yeah. I don't think that sounds really very realistic at all, but that was the only um, version of drafting that it had in the BGG because I could find it was card drafting. Yeah. Um, so it was the best I could get. Um, okay. I'm going to agree to disagree on that one. I, I think that's erroneous. We, we should email them and say, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong. Sorry for thinking an error. Yeah. We just need updating. Maybe. I mean, as you said yourself, there are games where you draft from an open set of cards. Definitely. Mm. That, there is that, but that shouldn't be the defining element of it i don't think so yeah, i don't know you know definitely not definitely not cool so i think that about like wraps up our little mechanics uh, section for today i think it does let's get to the next bit then oh yeah the next bit well that was a very good section uh thanks very much i hope people have taken some information away from it and know a bit more about these terms now so let's move on to something maybe more casual. We're trying to have a sort of topic, I guess, now in the episodes. And when I say topic, we're not talking necessarily about, you know, the, the latest and greatest games or um, interesting sort of controversial topics necessarily, even though there might be. But I thought we'd, we'll start with something more lighter and talk about um, who we play games with. So I think, again, there are so many people in the community who play different games in different ways with different people. And I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to hear what we do. So if you don't mind, I'll sort of launch into this a bit and just talk about how I play games. And I think a lot of people have probably seen it on Twitter. Obviously, I play games with my wife when I can, and that's obviously very special to me because my wife isn't much of a gamer, even though she seems to be becoming more and more one. And trying to find games that suit that level of, of play, this type of play with my wife is, is very important as well. So when I buy games, I'm trying to think more in those lines now. And having found Wingspan now, again, it's amazing that, you know, she loves playing this game. We also have a daughter and trying to get to her to play games is quite hard these days. Unfortunately, she used to love playing games with us. And luckily, I think with her, it's about games that are quite quick. And what I found, and I have to thank Subquark here, David Miller and Kate Beckett, are the Mint Tin Mini games or the Mint Tin games um, like Mint Tin Mini Skullduggery and now the latest Mint Tin Mini Apocalypse, which are literally just dice rolling games, lots of luck and just lots of fun. And that's great and you know that that family play is great and again being out and about maybe in a restaurant playing a game there is great fun as well while we're waiting for food or in a pub or something so that's that's one side sort of family play and and trying to yeah. get the right games at that level then the other side i'm very lucky to have a games group um as i think we said in the last episode and we play once a week, well, most weeks anyway. Uh, there's four of us, and we sort of change the location. You do it in different, different each other's houses. And those games tend to be more sort of heavy games, heavier games, I'd say. Uh, sort of the size Rising Suns um, type of games. Even though, again, we've been playing Wingspan now, which isn't quite so heavy. And I really enjoy that aspect and, you know, enjoy the, the social side of it and having having some crisp and having a laugh and having a drink and playing a game and talking and all that. So I guess for me, who I play games with has to do with the sort of social side of it. If I, if playing solo, as we said earlier, 
I don't think is for me. You know, it's it's an activity I want to do with with other people, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe I'm too shy to play, you know, with other people outside sort of my my friends and family, but um, again, you know, there are possibly opportunities to do that as well. So that's how who I play games with. How about you, Antoinette? It sounds like you've like a lovely like broad selection of people to play games with. Yeah. And- I have to say it's adorable the way you, you talk about getting games for your wife because <laughs> you're like you're curating things in such a way you're like you're looking at board games in a very different light than you would if it was just for you definitely yeah or, and the same for your daughter I think that's lovely oh thank you um, you know and I think it gives you've got two different aspects then to your board gaming life yeah so, um, and yeah gaming group I'm completely jealous of that <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> they are very special definitely it is very yeah. tough to keep them keep that going as well so i'm, I'm i feel yeah. very very lucky with that yeah it's hard work to get people to come together to do something awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> why we're not sure but it is okay so who do i play games with okay this is going to be a very short list <laughs> i play games with my husband he is the original gamer in our house I'd like to say that I always liked games before I met him, but he really launched it into another stratosphere. Like, I suppose when we first met, I learned to play Magic the Gathering. I learned how to play board games like Robo Rally and Zombies and Munchkin back back when that was cool. And I played board games and all sorts of things. And just over the years, a lot of the other activities have petered out. But board games is one that's always really stuck with us. So we play all sorts of stuff together. I'm very fortunate in the fact that he's really good at games. Okay. (laughs) It's also its own curse. Yeah. So I've kind of settled into the fact that um, I'll probably never be um, as brilliant as he is. There are certain types of games where we just we can't play together because it's just ridiculously unfair, especially area control games. I have no hope whatsoever (laughs) (laughs) or anything where anything tactical or where you have to like hidden movement games. All that stuff is out. However, recently I started to discover a niche of games that he can't beat me at. So this has been very exciting, like small games like King Domino, for instance, you know, oh, yeah. laying games. I don't, I don't know if I, the simpler I go, the better I get. I don't know. I'm also undefeated at Space Base. I don't know how I've managed. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, good. But we really do play anything, absolutely anything and anything. We have everything from heavy Euros to small games to medium games to everything in between. I, I kind of, I love having a really broad collection because gaming for me is such a fun activity and I love that we get to do it together like as in everyone else's lives may I don't know what I don't know what everyone else does but I know my husband comes home from work we make dinner and we play games oh it's brilliant the story of our life like every night that's brilliant though that's amazing you know. <laughs> which is amazing but that's why we have we've quite a selection because you never know I think games match how you're feeling a lot of the time yeah you know you're not always in the mood for a big heavy euro game but you're not always in the mood for something kind of light and fun either and I no. like being able to have a selection so that no matter what way you were feeling there was always something you could play so that's who I mostly play games with we do have friends who will occasionally come and play games with us and that's always really exciting but I yeah. find other people sometimes just a little bit stressful for me so when I, we have game days on occasion I'll yeah. take like a day or two to get over it which is probably the reason why I don't really go into any meetups there are two fantastic meetups in Cork there's one on a Monday night which is the Cork Action League I recently donated a bunch of my um, old games to them and they were like deliriously happy with that 
Oh, brilliant. Yes, I saw the tweet. Definitely. It, uh, That's I good. I don't understand why everyone was praising me for it. I was like, what else would I do with my games? Surely I should give them to you know people who enjoy them and play them. And we have a, a second meetup group in a board game shop called Happy Go Lucky, which is for about an hour's drive away on a Friday night. And it's just it's just too far to get to. I would love to be able to get yeah. to do it, but it'd be an hour drive down, an hour drive back on a Friday. It just it doesn't happen. And I think and no, even when no. I have managed to go to those things, they're just um, just a little bit too much sometimes. So the majority of my gaming is just me and my better half. But I do love when I get to have people come around. It's just, it's you know, it's just a little exhausting. But I get, I do yeah. get to play a lot of games though. <laughs> No, I, I, I sort of get that. I mean, and you mentioned meetups and things. I, I went to a meetup in Brighton, I don't know, it was sometime last year, and I actually went with a friend of mine who's, who's in the games group as well, just to, I guess, have a bit of moral support mm-hmm. there. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily nervous around other people, and I enjoyed the evening. It is more work and, you know, socializing. You do have to sort of, you know, you don't relax really. You're always a bit on, on, on guard, I guess, I suppose. Mm. And I suppose I'm the same. I don't necessarily want to have large groups of people. You know, the four of us in the games group is the right number. Anything larger, I think I would find too, bit too stressful as well. So I, I sort of, I think, I understand where you're coming from. But yeah, it is, it is one of those things, yeah. definitely. Mm, I think I, the problem as well with us is that maybe we're not the best host sometimes because every because i suppose between review copies and and i do a lot of trading for games so when somebody comes to my house they usually end up playing like three or four brand new games they've never played before which is really unfair because <laughs> yeah. i'm like oh my god you have to see this you have to see this look look look, look. and oh wait i didn't get to show you this yet so like we when we people over on saturday, on saturday on sunday for st patrick's day it was a case of look at this look at this do this do this try this and i i'm sorry yeah. i'm a terrible person i shouldn't have done this because <laughs> i forget that when you know you're new to games and when you learn them for the first time you kind of want to play them a couple of times you don't want to hop yeah. straight into another new game i <laughs> i feel terrible that i've done that i'm repeatedly but it's just because i have i have so much to give <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? you just you really want to share yeah, them yeah. with people i think that's the whole impetus of my channel is that i want to share my excitement about these games with people and when i finally get a hold of a person it's like you sit still take these things <laughs> you know so play with me to, learn yeah. to be like a slightly better host and uh, but i did i did well i let people pick their own games and stuff when they come to visit i don't mind what we play what we play but then yeah. I, I agree with you about meetups being slightly um awkward though too because you're not sure like you don't really know everybody and yeah you're playing a mm. game together but i don't know like the last time i was at one nobody really talked and i, I was this is weird. Yeah, yeah. And I kept trying to make conversation. Yeah. And then I'm like, now do I seem like the weird one? <laughs> you know, oh my God, will she ever shut up? I don't know. I just, awkward silence yeah. has got to me. <laughs> it is difficult. I think, I suppose, when you're lucky, you've got you know, several meetups around you. So mm. maybe it is a choice thing as well. I think people in London probably have loads of okay. places to go to. And they might find the right group that's right for them. So, and I think, you know, for people listening to this program, do, do look at meetups because there are plenty around. There's, there's various things. There's also, if you're interested in playtesting, there's playtesting groups, you know, Playtest UK. If you Google that, they do stuff. So chances are you will find something if you look hard enough. But it might take a few visits to find the right group for you. And, you know, you might have to go through it. Mm. So it's one of those things. But yeah, give it a go, definitely. Yeah, I think the truth is that I, I think we're exceptions to the rule because a lot of people get a lot out of meetups. I think they're a great way to introduce people to board gaming initially. 
um, and to yeah. get to know people and to get to play kind of lots of games without having to buy any games. It's like it's the perfect way to introduce yourself, I think, to board gaming. Yeah, yeah. Without any cost or anything like that, and you get to go hang out with a bunch of people who already know games and can kind of indu- induct you into the world of board gaming. So I completely recommend meetup groups and things like that. I think yeah, more. Yeah. I wish there were more. I would love one for like the daytime people, but most people work during the day. But I would love, I would love a meetup during the day <laughs> to go and play yeah. games. Shame on all you people who are working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I no, say, yeah definitely um important like the more gamers you can get together the more you can spread the word about board games you know i yeah i felt the same way when i i handed those games into the meetup group that you know were there i was like i hope these people play these games and go home and tell their friends about the amazing game they played and then their friend will come back and play games this is how i see yeah. it as all as like a spreading of the the word no, it's very good. As I say, I think you you did a great job, <laughs> and I think you deserve all the praise you got for that. Because I myself, you know, I I, I end up sort of uh, selling games to buy new games or subsidising mm-hmm. new games, and I wish I could say I'm just going to give them away. I, I don't know whether I could afford it, at least not yet. But we'll see, see how we go. So you doing that is is amazing. That's I don't what... know. You know, what was I going to do with three ticket to rides? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, the yeah, stuff yeah. that I suppose as well were too expensive to post away anywhere when they were worth. Or, you know, okay. it wouldn't cost more to ship yeah, it, yeah. and uh, you know that kind of stuff. Um, okay. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, it was a terrible loss of money." I'm like, "Not really. I wasn't playing these. I haven't played them in the last year. It wasn't going to happen anytime yeah. soon, and there was no, you know, no better place for them." So <laughs> that's true. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. good. Right. I think we probably have covered all the points. As I say, I, I, I think we both encourage everyone to play games where you can, how you can, and find the way that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and try these meetups in other places. Hopefully, you know, have some friends. Think of you know exhibitions as well. You know, various experts have like tournaments on if you want that or other things. So mm-hmm. the more games you play and play them with different people the better for the industry and for for the community Definitely. that that was a, that was a great way to finish it <laughs> <laughs> right i think that means we just need to say goodbye to okay. everyone and hopefully we'll uh, hear more from us in the next episode very soon again we haven't got a schedule yet but um, just keep an eye out on the various <laughs> forums for podcasts and things itunes and buzzsprout and i don't know i'm learning about these things at you the and moment and obviously <laughs> yeah <laughs> and look out obviously on our twitter feeds and I think Antoinette just, you know, say where people can find you and I'll do the same and then we'll we'll say well, goodbye. You can probably find me under a heap of board games somewhere, but if you wanted to really <laughs> look, you'd find me at um, www.boardgameinquisition.com and that has a link to all the um, Twitter, Facebooky, Instagrammy stuff that I do. I'm a bit all over the place really. Um I'm not hard to find though, I'd like to think. Um, so no, yeah i hope you guys definitely. enjoyed the episode and thank you for listening along with us we would love your feedback and comments definitely love and like to know what other people heard because you know what you think you say and what people hear very different things sometimes no thank you and yeah you can find me on tabletopgamesblog.com obviously twitter and youtube and everything as well but the blog is sort of again the central point for everything i do and yeah thanks very much for listening as i feedback is always welcome let us know be be gentle though (laughs) (laughs) constructive criticism yes but uh, yeah and then hopefully we'll uh, hear from you or see you again uh, very soon thanks very much thanks very much guys take care bye